Ever wondered what unicorns eat for breakfast? Okay, so I don't actually know. But I do know that 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot. And for good reason. HubSpot's all-on-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support. Plus, they have a huge collection of resources to help startups scale. And with the HubSpot for Startups program, you could save big off your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot, visit HubSpot.com startups. What's going on, everyone? It's Friday, July 1st. I'm Zachary Crockett. I'm sitting here with Juliet Bennett-Ryla. And we've got HubSpot's VP of Marketing, Jordan DiPietro, back in the house. Hey, hey, hey. You're listening to The Hustle Daily Show. I don't know if uh, anyone else has noticed this, but we've been keeping tabs on it. A bunch of really big-name CEOs have called it quits this year. Jordan's going to break down three of them for us today. We are going to be looking at Starbucks, Peloton, and Pinterest, and the implications that each shakeup has for each company. But before we get into that, I'm going to pass it off to Juliet for the latest in business and tech news. Once again, and on the cusp of a holiday weekend, no less, travelers are facing a spike in flight cancellations across all airlines, leading to uncertainty around holiday plans. On Wednesday alone, over 2,000 flights were canceled nationwide. A University of Pittsburgh study found that in the United States, working with industrial robots reduces physical injuries, but increases mental health and substance abuse issues. This is not true in Germany, however, where robots decrease physical injuries but had no significant impact on mental health. Researchers say that one possible cause could be that Germany has higher employment protections and that automation is less inclined to result in job loss. Amazon restricted searches for LGBTQ items, including books and apparel in the UAE, where same-sex relationships are illegal. Amazon says it remains committed to inclusivity but must comply with local laws. And finally, two Canadian companies have come together to create something I have very mixed feelings about. French's Ketchup and Happy Pops have introduced a ketchup-flavored popsicle in various pop-up locations throughout Canada. They're free, which I suppose helps, and French's will donate two meals to Food Banks Canada per popsicle given away. Meanwhile, Taco Bell is testing tostadas and Crunchwrap Supremes made with giant Cheez-Its in California, so lots of innovation in the dubious food space going on. All right, thank you, Juliet. And it's time to talk CEOs. So let's start with Starbucks here. This is a big one. Howard Schultz is one of those legendary cult figure CEOs. Back in March, Starbucks announced that its president and CEO, Kevin Johnson, was going to be retiring after 13 years of the company, five of them as CEO. He left April 4th. Howard Schultz came, stepped back up into that main chair. And this isn't Howard Schultz's first time in the rodeo. He's stepped up and down a few times over the years as CEO. He's kind of having a rough return right now. He's got a lot going on at Starbucks. But why do you think that change happened? What preempted this one? So like you said, this is actually Schultz's third time as CEO. (laughs) This is the trifecta. He was CEO from 1987 to 2000 and then from 2008 to 2017. Hmm. The last time that he came aboard and said he was going to be an interim CEO was 2008 and he stayed for a decade. So stretching the limits of interim there. (laughs) They say when he came in as interim, they said he was going to stay until I think the first quarter of fiscal year 23. Mm -hmm. But the whole thing seems kind of weird to me. Apparently, Kevin Johnson said a year ago, he told the board that he'd be leaving. So Starbucks had Mm -hmm. an entire year to find a replacement. And after an entire year, the replacement was the person who had already been CEO twice. So like (laughs) the whole thing, I just, knowing what I know of Howard Schultz, I just kind of have a hard time believing he's going to leave. That being said, as a longtime Starbucks shareholder, I like the guy a lot. And historically, he's done a really good job. So I'll tell you a couple of things that I've liked that he's done. And then 
obviously right now he's kind of finding himself in a little bit of a storm. But yeah. I think on the very first day he took over as being CEO this time around, mm-hmm. he announced a massive pause in stock buybacks. I think $20 billion of stock buybacks, which from a shareholder point of view, maybe some shareholders were a little bit frustrated. But basically what this signaled was like he was going to take a lot of money and a lot of free cash flow and reinvest it into people and stores, mm-hmm. which as a long-term shareholder, you're pretty excited about. So I was pretty pumped about that. I was pretty excited to hear him talk more about re-envisioning the designs of stores, talking about reinvesting in the people, about increasing the quality of the food, all those things. It was kind of like, awesome. A plus, Schultz is back. This is great. But where he has really stepped in a lot of is with the unionization that has occurred. Mm -hmm. He keeps getting dinged again and again and again. And I don't know if you guys saw most recently, there have been multiple messages sent to labor regulators from the various unions within Starbucks, basically saying that he should be ousted. Sure. Yeah, this is a big question mark for him right now. He was also recently in the news kind of pleading for the return of his workers and dealing with the fallout of work from home COVID stuff. I think his exact quote was, I've pled with them. I I said, I'll get on my knees. I'll do push-ups, whatever you want. Just come back. So (laughs) he's, he's kind of in a position of, you know, begging his workers to come back into the office as well. What's your vibe here on what this means for the firm at large? Just Schultz coming back into the fold in general. Honestly, the way that some things have unfolded recently, the example you just gave, and also just knowing Schultz's playbook historically is making personal connections with people. He has done this time and time again with his workforce, with the company. Hmm. He comes in, he reinvigorates the employees, he reinvigorates the staff, the board, et cetera, comes up with a new vision. And I kind of just thought, you know, the same playbook would work. And it just seems like so far, it's not. So I found a quote that he wrote in his book in 1997 that basically was referring to his employees. And he said, if they had faith in me and my motives, they wouldn't need a union. Uh And it just goes to show you like how personally he feels about the unionization of his workers. And I just don't know if he's going to get past it. And I honestly think that there's a chance that they might need a leader and a new CEO that is okay with the unionization of his staff. And I don't know if he's the guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Juliet, where do you fall on this? I mean, you've written a bit about the Starbucks unionization efforts in our email. On the one hand, you have a CEO kind of taking it personally, which, you know, I can kind of understand. He's been more or less involved at a top level since founding the company in 1982. But at the same time, wages haven't really gone up very much in the last few decades as an aggregate. Right. And I think we used to talk about Starbucks as being one of the better food service places for employees to work. I know they had better benefits for a while. They had a more inclusive healthcare package. But I think we're seeing that these things just aren't enough. Even if you get a decent wage at Starbucks and even if you have a nice health insurance package, that's still not enough to afford a home in the United States anymore. And so I think either they're going to have to just go with the unions and agree with that or they're going to have to start offering even more. I mean, I don't think it's just a Starbucks problem. So it's just kind of the way that the labor force is changing. Right. Let's move on to this next example here. Peloton, a little bit of a different situation over there. Still kind of a storm, but different situation. John Foley announced his resignation as CEO back in February. And uh, this new guy, Barry McCarthy, this 68-year-old former chief financial officer of Spotify and Netflix, um, very pedigreed guy, stepped in to replace him. So this comes in the context of you know a, a glut of unsold machines sitting around, negative press, activist investors swooping in, recalls, 
Jordan, is this CEO switch kind of a signal of better things to come here? (laughs) Yeah, I think it is. I really do. I've read a bunch about Barry McCarthy and kind of what some of his thoughts were about what needed to be fixed. Peloton seems to me like a classic example of like the startup founder who came up with incredible product market fit, led the team to an amazing trajectory and just then started making a ton of pretty poor decisions when the company really needed to be getting certain things right. So among other things that I've heard McCarthy say is the cost structure of the company just needs to change dramatically. And that doesn't just mean like cost cutting, but it means what is our revenue and our LTV? What is the value that we're going to get out of every single customer? And then what is the amount of money that we spend acquiring all these customers and just making sure that those things work. Hmm. So, you know, I think traditionally Peloton was like $39 for a monthly subscription and the bikes are like two grand, or I think in some situations sure. maybe more expensive than that. And you're really, when it when a bike is 2000 or $3,000 or $4,000, you're really limiting the amount of people that are going to be able to buy this thing. However, if you lower the price of the bike, you widen the net. And if you increase Mm -hmm. the amount of the subscription, you're increasing the amount of like long-term value that you can possibly get. And that's where the real value of Peloton is, is with that like reoccurring subscription. So Mm -hmm. I think what he's doing is going to make a lot of sense. You know, Peloton has a great brand. They've got a pretty good product. They've got fairly low churn from what I've heard. Peloton to me is like the quintessential pandemic stock. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Peloton would benefit from opening in-person studios for people who aren't ready to buy a Peloton, but now, you know, we see them going back to gyms, they're not getting that pandemic boost? Good question. You mean like a soul cycle? Yeah, exactly. Like a soul cycle. <laughs> Good question. Because soul cycle is all like, it's a lifestyle. And I feel like Peloton is also, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. It seems like soul cycle is really cornered that space too. Might be a challenge for them to break in there. Does soul cycle make its own bikes? Juliet, do you know? I'm not sure. I mean, that would be one way for them to make a partnership because they have great instructors. They have great bikes. Mm -hmm. They're just really expensive to put in your house. Sure. Merger and acquisition people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Look at us, little investment bankers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't Equinox own SoulCycle? It's a very like... Yeah, I think you're right. (laughs) It's like a very community-oriented... It's a lifestyle. Pinterest is also very lifestyle. Okay, all of these places... They just come together. That's the solution. Yeah, they should all merge, like Starbucks, Peloton, and Pinterest. There you go. Oh, yeah. Perfect. (laughs) Peloton, they also have a really passionate base of fans. So I think the ship can be righted, but man, was there a lot of things going wrong here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I read in an interview with the New York Times, he said, you know, the magic isn't in the sheet metal and the machine. It's in the screen. Right. You know, we, we don't want to be a, the next Nordic track or not just <laughs> like a glorified piece of workout equipment. Yeah. I'm sure they'll, they'll go much harder on improving the software and doubling down on that recurring revenue. People love Peloton instructors. I feel like I see people retweeting Peloton instructors doing like 30 second clips constantly. People yeah. are really motivated by them. Mm-hmm. When the pandemic started in 2020, obviously demand started taking off and they had more revenue probably than they knew what to do with. Instead of saving any of that free cash flow or investing it more wisely, they were just spending it like wild. Mm. And I feel like McCarthy will come in and spend money in some of the places that scale and make sense, like content creators, great instructors. Mm. I forget what it was, but they acquired some equipment company for 400 million or some absurd number like that. So I feel like he's going to do a good job of he'll invest where it makes sense, but probably more so in content than in like, you know, equipment and manufacturing. Sure. All right. And moving on to our last kind of example here, Pinterest. This one just happened. It's fresh. 
It happened on Tuesday. Ben Silberman announced that he's stepping down. He's going to be replaced by Bill Reddy. Now, Bill Reddy has spent the last couple of years as the head of commerce payments and next billion users at Google. And the context coming in here is that Pinterest has kind of had a, a long history of missing opportunities. At least that's the perception with a lot of their investors, I think. Right, Jordan? Yeah. And I am a long-term Pinterest shareholder. I love Pinterest. And every year I think to myself, why the heck are they not doing more? Why are they not doing more to take advantage of <laughs> mm-hmm. the people mm-hmm. that use Pinterest? I think like two years ago, we decided to do a front deck edition on our house. And it was the first time I had really like used Pinterest because my wife and I are like sharing ideas, putting together pictures, creating folders. And I'm like, man, this thing's incredible. (laughs) But every single time you found something that you liked, trying to get from the picture to a site to a purchase Mm -hmm. was like falling down the freaking rabbit hole of the internet. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I didn't know this, but I think in 2018, they wanted to buy a Swedish company called Ticktail. Apparently, Shopify came in, swooped in, and made the acquisition Mm -hmm. instead. And then I think the more popular version of that was last year when they wanted to buy a company called Verishop, an online shopping platform. They were dragging their feet, negotiating for months. The deal hit a wall. Then apparently, PayPal was supposed to come in and buy Pinterest. That fell through. So then Pinterest went back to Verishop and said, hey, (laughs) sorry about that. We actually want to buy you guys 500 million still. And they were like, no way, get the hell out of here. So a bunch of different things have fallen through. They've lost... I think 10 and counting executives in 2022. Wow. One of the things I saw before we jumped on the pod was one of the senior most executives wrote a letter to co-founder Ben Silberman and basically saying, I'm paraphrasing, it is so hard to get done here because of the culture of consensus that we have built. Mm. And I was just like, man, doesn't get worse than that. Wow. So I guess there's like internal strife, lots of turnover going on within Pinterest. <laughs> you know, when you said there's really no way to track something down, I think that's something everyone can relate with. Like Pinterest is like the window shopping mall of the internet where mm-hmm. you just find really cool stuff that you love, but there's no e-commerce tie-in. There's right. no way to seal the deal there. Do you think that's something that Ready might be putting a little bit more effort into? I don't know. What do you think, Juliet? Have you used Pinterest? No, for the exact same reasons you just described. I would find something in Google image search, say, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Couldn't find out where it went. And now if I see that a link is from Pinterest, I will not click on it. No clicks. I know I will be disappointed. And I think we're all in agreement here. That is the one thing it needs. When I see something I like on Instagram, I can click on it and buy it immediately. Instagram is constantly trying, maybe too much trying to sell me stuff. But Pinterest is like... A black hole. No sale. Yeah. I think Reddy is. Like you said, he led a really big team of commerce at Google. Before that, he was a COO at PayPal. I think if you were going to write on paper who you wanted to take Ben Silberman's position, he's tailor-made for it. So I don't know if it can get any worse than this. At a certain point, there were rumors that PayPal was going to acquire them for $45 billion. Wow. Today, they're worth 12 Jeez. That's rough. Not as bad as Peloton, which is down to $3 billion, but still, it's pretty bad. Right. And what was Peloton at its peak valuation? 50 50 to three. 50 wow. to three. Jordan, back to <laughs> Pinterest. So when you were looking to put that new deck in your house, you sat down, you found a bunch of stuff you liked on Pinterest, you made a folder. Whatever came of that? Like, did you show those pics to like a contractor who then told you how to make those things actionable in the real world? Or did you kind of just like, I can't find any way to act on these cool photographs? Great question. So there were three different outcomes from my great Pinterest shopping viewing of 2020. The first thing that happened was I do think it helped facilitate 
my wife and I both having our own visions for what the front deck would be. So that helped because I was like, hey, look at my Pinterest board. So we could collaborate that way. So it helped facilitating. There were a couple items that I straight up just tried to buy. And like we all just talked about just failed. So that didn't work. Mm. And then I did say to my contractor, hey, Mike, you want to look at my Pinterest board? And guess what? He obviously (laughs) said, no, I don't want to look at your Pinterest board. So maybe if I had a contractor that was kind of open to it, that would have been great. But I don't know about you guys. My contractors are not too interested in looking at my Pinterest board. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine this like Philly contractor looking no. through Pinterest. Yeah. No, Mike Mike didn't like looking at my Pinterest board. Yeah. Bummer. <laughs> so it just kind of served as a glorified mood board in this whole process, basically. I think that's fair. A passive role, yeah. if you will. Passive okay. role. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just like uh, instead of cutting out pictures from magazines, you find them on the internet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pinterest, you know, it used to have like kind of a reputation for just being like a tween kind of thing, didn't it? It's very cottage um, core. Cottage core. Yeah. I'm so excited to know what that means. <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> it's like when you, um, it's like the opposite of goblin mode. It's uh, when you're very cute and you bake pies and you wear floral nap dresses and you take pictures okay. of flowers and awesome. You know, okay. you're, you're like a cute kitchen witch. <laughs> <laughs> kitchen nice. witch. I love it. It was the first time I've ever uh, used it. Um, I don't know if I ever would have used the word cottagecore. I like it now that I know it. But <laughs> my guess is I probably thought, yeah, not for me. I don't really know what, what the hell I would do on Pinterest. Sure. But hey, it worked out. Stock prices not worked out. But hey, long-term view. Long-term view. Bill Ready, show me what you got. <laughs> yeah. Another thing you brought up, Jordan, that I thought was really interesting since we're talking about CEOs, the CEO from the Darden Group, which I don't, I don't think a lot of people will recognize what that is, but they'll definitely recognize the brands that, that they hold, just stepped down as well. And that kind of signifies a larger trend that you noticed in the casual eating space. Yep. Uh, yeah, Darden Restaurants, which owns Olive Garden, Longhorn Steakhouse, Cheddar Scratch Kitchen, which I don't know what that is. Me neither. Yard House, <laughs> Capital Grill. Bahama Breeze. Bahama Breeze, wow. But yeah, just stepped down. And who else did I send you guys? The Domino CEO stepped down. Yeah, Wingstop. Oh yeah, Wingstop stepping down. Look, there is the great resignation is affecting CEOs. And there is a large swath of 70 to 80 year old men in charge of fast casuals who are all like, I want to go to the golf course and chill out. (laughs) Good for them. One of them literally said that out loud recently. Uh, the, the CEO of Formica, a $68 billion investment firm, he resigned and said, I just want to go sit on the beach and do nothing all day. Who doesn't? <laughs> right. He just said it out loud, which I kind of appreciate. Right. I appreciate that in a world where CEOs are saying no one wants to work anymore, a CEO says, I don't want to work anymore. Right. Like, I literally don't want to work anymore. I'm not going to. Yeah. Right. Instead of like some cookie cutter speech that's like, it's it's time to pass the reins on to my heir. Just say like, I want to f- check out and go sit on the beach. <laughs> it's yes. my time right. to shine. <laughs> I could keep doing this, but actually I don't want to anymore. So I'm just going to stop. Oh man. Well, all right. Hopefully all of us can do that soon. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. And thank you so much for tuning into the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor's Robert Hartwig and our executive producer is Darren Clark. If you liked what you heard today, we've got a lot more tech and business coverage over in our newsletter. You can go check it out and sign up over at thehustle.co. We hope you have a lovely Friday and we'll catch you all bright and early next week.